Well, Merry Christmas. Like Jimmy said, my name is Carl. We're going to keep going on with our series called Emmanuel. If it's okay with you, I'm just going to jump right into our text for the day. You don't have to stand. It's only going to be one verse. Um, but I would just ask, would you please uh, just read the underlying things that you see in this one verse, and I'll trade you. You get to sit down while we read it, okay? So, and we all who with unveiled faces the Lord's glory are being into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And everybody said? Amen. amen and amen. Well, before I jump in uh, to this message, I do want to honor one group of people that we might have with us today. Um, it's December, which means that there could be some people who are graduating from college, uh, one of our colleges here in Waco, that are in the room. Raise your hand if you're graduating. Is anybody graduating in here? Um, so got some hands there. Keep them up. Keep them up. Yeah, we see you. Way to go, guys. A lot of years, a lot of money, a lot of time and attention. And uh, we're really proud of you for graduating. And if you're staying in Waco, we hope we get to keep walking with you. If not, it's been a joy, um, especially for my wife and I. We love college students and had the chance to be college pastors for years. And uh, we went on this mission trip called Awaken every year at spring break. All right, we got some Awaken people in here. Well, if you've been to Awaken, <coughs> excuse me, you know uh, one of three things if you've had this opportunity. Number one, you know you get to stay in the most eccentric hotel in the history of the world. All right. Uh, number two, you've watched God do amazing things in your life, which you didn't even know were possible. And number three, you have become very aware of something called the sneaky stick. We got any sneaky stick people in here? Yeah. Now, if you don't know what the sneaky stick is, not complicated. It's a clothespin. And there's always at least one team on our Awaken trip that makes the sneaky stick their obsession for that seven days. And the goal is that, that, that you would walk up to someone and try to put this on them without them noticing that you have done so. Now, if you are successful, then you'll walk away and they'll get it. Sometimes they'll be like, no, 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 put that back in your hand. But if you are successful in transferring it to them, then um, at the end of the day, when we come to our team time and we're like, who has the sneaky stick? And everybody's just like, oh, Lord, no. And you start looking around and maybe if it's on your backpack, if it's on your backwards hat, you tend to crumple in defeat because you know that a load of junk is coming your way in the coming seconds. And if you have the sneaky stick, then you have to pay the price for that. And that could be anything from go jump in the pool right now, fully clothed. Um, we, we were with one team last year that made someone lick the bottom of a shoe. Um, we draw the line at that because college students in hazing can get, get really creative. So we just say no more, nothing more than shoe licking. We'll keep it at that. Um, but here's what's so funny about the sneaky stick is that for 11 months and three weeks of the year, nobody thinks about clothespins. Then for seven days, anybody that touches us, comes close to us, gets in our vicinity, prays for us. If they're praying powerfully for you, you're like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. You know, take that back. You are, you are painfully aware of clothespins for seven days and then you don't think about them again for about another year. Because you learn, at least at Awaken, if you don't at any other time, something could be with you for long periods of time and you not even be aware of it. And if you were with us last week, that's what we talked about. We asked, what is the main story of Scripture? And we said that the, the main narrative of the Bible is that from beginning to end, it is not about people who are pursuing God. It's an account of a God who keeps pursuing his people. They just don't always realize there's a sneaky stick 
that they're carrying around. So in 1 Samuel, there's a boy named Samuel. Three different times, he hears God audibly call his name. And he goes and talks to his leaders like, what? And then in, in 2 Kings, we see a servant. He wakes up. He goes and looks outside his window and he finds that there's an army there to destroy him and his leader. And he freaks out when his leader Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes. And then he sees there's this angelic army surrounding that army and he's like, oh wow, there's more with us than there are with them. And he settles down. In Luke chapter 24 in the New Testament, Jesus has just died. Two guys are just in torment. They're walking down this road and the resurrected Lord shows up next to them, starts talking to them. They don't recognize him. And that night when he breaks bread, it clicks I guess because partly because he vanished. And if, if someone's there and then vanishes, you go, that must be God. And he goes, and they said, something was burning inside of us. So for all of us who have said, if I lived in the days of the Bible, I think it would just be so much easier. Apparently, you can be right here in canonized scripture, could have been living in those very days, could have walked on the very road and did not know there's a sneaky stick right next to you and could have missed the entire thing altogether. So if, I, I would venture to say, maybe it's not, so easy after all. But in God's kingdom, the price we pay for not realizing his nearness, it's not a jump in the pool. I wish it was. It's typically a very weary soul. And that's why I love this quote from author, pastor, philosopher, Dallas Willard. He says, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. What a sentence. That is so weighty. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God, which we talked about last week, is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. Now, in the early days or times of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. You may have felt that this week. If you're like, okay, Carl talked about this. I'm gonna actually practice thinking, keeping my, eye, my mind going to God. And you may have been like, that was not easy. He says, these are habits not the law of gravity, they can be broken. And a new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. Meaning that just the same, same way that Earth's axis goes up in alignment to the to the, the, the pole star, there'll be something, not that we force ourselves to do, but eventually there'll be an inward disposition that would lock eyes with God and learn how to do that on a regular basis. And that's what I've been praying for. I mean, last week I just felt like, I told people, I just felt like God was doing something powerfully in this room that was beyond songs or sermons, and maybe it had something to do with the cassette tape that I played of my wife. But beyond that, it just felt the Spirit of God was like transitioning the burden that people had from my spirituality is all on me to he's coming for us. And I could see tears all over the room. People were texting and emailing me just going, I just feel free to know that he is coming for me. This is the work of the Spirit's doing. And this is what I know. This is what I, I want for us. I want us to experience peace with God and peace in our relationships so deeply, especially around the holidays, and I know that some people are just so excited to be with friends and family over the holidays. You can't wait to do your Christmas traditions. And then others, it's strained, it's weird, it's fractured. And we, you know, whether it's just the crazy uncle or whether it's just the broken family or, and you're just like, 
man, one of my friends is like, oh man, I have low goals. It's like, God, give me two hours of of time where insanity doesn't feel every meal. Like the goal, the bar is low for some and others, maybe not so much. And so you can be, we can be tempted on a day like this to go, okay, well, what are the top 10 ways that we could give you to experience peace with God and peace with others in every dynamic you're going to step into? Well, lists like that are great, but I'm not going to give you one this morning. The reason is because last week we looked at a man named Zacchaeus who did not wake up that day on a mission to see every relational fracture healed in his life and read a self-help book to figure it out. What ended up happening was he had an interaction with God and the time in God's presence shifted everything. We see the rest of that story actually in Luke chapter 19 that Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. What do I need to say my remaining 27 minutes to get you to go home and give 50% of what you have away? Everybody's like, that's not happening. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Think about that. Now, I know y'all were all reading Leviticus in your time with God, so I don't need to repeat this. But for those who didn't, the law doesn't require that. The law of Moses required one-fifth. Give it back what you've given them plus one-fifth. So for Zacchaeus to say, I'm going to give back four times anything I stole, he is exhibiting the, the overflow of what it meant for him to encounter God and grace in such a powerful way that something on the inside shifted. And as a result of an inside shift, he is now interacting with God and others in, a, in dramatic fashion. And I want you to be able to catch that. Because, because what I believe is that a lot of us might, if we don't walk out of here, then we'll walk out of here with this, okay, how do I skillfully navigate the next two weeks all in my relationships, my walk with God, so that I can nail the hammer on the nail and, and make it all work? And I hope that you do. I hope it works. And we've got a lot of great sermons online that we talked about this year from Clarence Hill and Jimmy Seibert and Mick Murray. And if you need lists about how to make it for the holidays, then, then there's some there. But the hope of, the, of, the, of this season is that the government will rest on his shoulders, not yours. And we've got a part to play in all of this, but I believe that what God may be inviting you into today is not, here's the recipe for perfect relationships like we see on Hallmark movies and commercials around this time, but it could be that, man, there's some things that are just out of your control, but if you'll give yourself to Jesus, there's a soul satisfaction that we can experience right now that will totally come and interfere in the way we interact with God and others and could change everything. So this Christmas, what we're talking about is how do I get mesmerized with this truth? Not that I should pray more, but that I should be more aware of his presence. And what if I shifted to that? That's what we're gonna talk about some more today. And I just wanna go on record, be very honest, that some of the things I'm sharing today, they're coming from a deep place in me that I've tried not to talk about publicly because there's a mystery that happens in preachers where we try to take deep things and put it into the English language. And then y'all typically leave going, well, he was excited about that, you know, but we don't know what he was talking about. So if you don't get it, just be blessed by some scriptures that we're gonna read today. But I'm, I really believe if you get this, there will be a transference of weight that will fall off your shoulders. 
that could release in joy you didn't know was possible. So we're gonna do that by looking at two famous passages that I've read a lot, memorized, preached a lot, and if I'm really honest, the last few years didn't actually sink in. Maybe as you read them, if you're a Bible reader, you might relate as well. One of them is in John chapter 15. And Jesus says some very beautiful words. He says, I'm the true vine, my father is the gardener. Remain in me and I also rem- as I also remain in you. No branch can bear, what's that word? By itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear what? Unless you remain in me. Now, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, we don't live in an agricultural world as much anymore. And so that's why like, there's like, who in here has a green thumb, by the way? Who in here, like, you just love gardening, what you touch turns to gold? Okay, so the rest of us hate you, okay? And so we, the rest of us, we are professional garden killers. Can I get an amen from all of my people that we buy flowers and we just send them into the abyss within moments, it feels like. I I just bought Blair five rose bushes for her birthday in April. I don't know why I did that when we have... June to July, and we don't have irrigation. I'm out there watering stuff, and, and then it turns to winter, and I'm protecting these roses that she loves so much, and I, I'm like, you know, I feel like I'm out there looking at these roses, giving them pep talks, like, you got this. You can do this, you know, like, and I, it, I have learned more than ever, I am absolutely inept at making a rose bloom. I only have so much I can do, and then there's just this thing that I have zero control over. I love my friend Susan Peters. She carries around green spray paint and has been known to just paint all of her flowers green. It looks beautiful. It's absolutely fake. And I'm like, yes, I get that. I I feel that because you realize I am absolutely limited. And this is what this scripture is, is promising you. Two things are being promised to you in this scripture. One is it is possible to encounter deep intimacy with God, like vine and branches that are connected. The second thing you, you could see here is that there is an impossibility. Along that possibility, there's an impossibility and it's you bearing fruit by yourself. You pep-talking roses out of your life is an impossibility. So let's just stay here a moment. What's one area of your life you wish was different? Okay, that didn't take long. I'm sure you were all there. What's one relationship you wish was a little better than it is now? bet that didn't take long either. So we all have an idea of things that need to shift, yet we're living in the tension of a possible God and an impossibility that we can't give a pep talk to those things and make them shift and change in and of themselves, which is hard for me because I'm an accomplisher and I'm a doer, I'm an activator. And to know that I actually can't do this is very challenging and the most liberating thing I have ever known. Because what I found is, When I get these two confused, what is God's responsibility and what is mine? And when those get cross-fired, and now at an emotional level, I am carrying what is God's responsibility, I am sure to walk head on into burnout, disappointment, and exasperation. What ended up happening that I've done time and time again is I'll end up being pulling back from God a little bit. I might get jaded. I may get frustrated. But the, the reason I'm there is because I was living with this mentality that I was trying to see something happen that just wasn't happening. And so I put that on myself 
that was actually God's to carry. So God knew that this would be, probably for a lot of us, this would be the way we live. So he just gave us more scriptures about fruit in the Bible. Anybody know another passage of scripture in the Bible about fruit? Fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter five. That's exactly right. I mean, Galatians five, what a great scripture. How many of you have heard of the fruits of the Spirit? Said, how many of you sang a song, memorized them, looked at your kid and said, for the love of God, can you not just do some of these? You know, like we've all had a, the fruits of the Spirit thought or heard of them at times um, in our life. That's the beauty of, of, of Galatians chapter five. What I'd like to suggest to you today is it is probably one of the most read, most well-known and most misread scriptures in the Bible. Because I would like to suggest to you today, it's not a command. But most of us, when we read the fruits of the Spirit, it's like, okay, here's the list of nine things that the Apostle Paul, goody two-shoes apostle, gave us to do. Here's nine areas we need to up our game spiritually. Are you self-controlled? Are you gentle? Are you kind? Are you loving? Well, get it together. It's Christmas. You know, it's kind of what you can read when you see the fruit of the Spirit. On the flip side, Paul gives another list. He calls them the deeds of the flesh, the, 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 the works of the flesh, all kinds of things. Let's take a look at that list. The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Okay, does everybody agree that if this is in your life, your spiritual maturity is probably not going up into the north? Everybody agree? Do I need to spend any time on this? Or are you all like, yeah, we don't want that. Like, really, Carl, please, no more immorality, impurity, sorcery. We got rid of that. Okay, great, awesome. You're convinced. Then listen to this next verse, the rest of verse 21, actually. And it's a warning that Paul gives. He says, I'm warning you as I warned you before. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I've heard this forever, and if I'm honest, for about 45 years of my life, the way I read that was, if you do or keep doing all the things in the other list, you will go to hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. You're gone. Which can be very confusing, because since I've given my life to Jesus as a young boy, I've done some of those things on that list. Like, I've been angry. I've been jealous. Like, you would look at that and like, yep, the deeds of the flesh and Carl are evident. Right? If that means that if you do any things, you're going to hell, then that means that any of you drivers who get ticked off at other drivers in the next two weeks on the holidays and experience an outburst of anger, we will not see you at the pearly gates. Everybody look at the person that you're thinking of when I said that. Yeah, all right. But two weeks ago, Sean Dunn did a great job talking about the kingdom of God in that little Oprah clip when he was saying that the kingdom of God is this kingdom realm accessible to you and you and you and you and you and you. It's accessible to you at all times. And if these things continue to pop up in your life, you will block the flow of the Holy Spirit. You will come to a place of exhaustion, of burnout. You will think to yourself, the Christian life doesn't work. And there is because there is a kingdom realm, there is a spiritual realm that is available to you that is being blocked because of these things that are consistently in our life. Like Paul said, above all things, he says, don't quench the spirit. 
So he wasn't saying to us, or maybe I should say, you know, put it this way, that the question wasn't what we often think of, is that good or bad? Like, is that a good movie or a bad movie? Is that a good post or a bad post to look at? Or in a relationship? Was I right and he wrong? Was she wrong and he right? Paul's going, what if that wasn't the question? What if it was, is there anything about this conversation, this decision, this philosophy, this action that is blocking me from the flow of the Spirit? If so, I'm going to have to slow down and care enough to be intentional about my life, that I'm looking at my life and not saying, is it good or bad? Or was I right and she wrong? Is this blocking the flow of the Spirit? Because if so, the rose isn't going to bloom. And the unseen river of living water I've been promised isn't going to flow. And so, Lord, just make me aware at all times. Give me an attention to what is blocking or letting the Spirit of God flow. In that Spirit, Paul begins to list what roses will bloom in your life if you continue to stay in this abiding relationship with him. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Anybody just salivating like I am right now? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's like he's just teasing you. And he's saying, I'm not commanding these things. I'm, I'm promising. You giving your attention to God and watching what is blocking the flow of the Spirit, making that your chief aim day in and day out, there is a promise that this could flow out of your life. But I'd like to suggest something to you today. You can't do those. No pep talk in your life. Like, what pep talk am I going to do today to make you go give away 50% of what you own? Right? You can't make yourself do this. Maybe married people understand this to a deeper degree. Do you, have you ever gone back and listened to the vows you said? You were like, what was I saying? You're just so in love. You're like, yeah, just, I don't care what you want, when you want. I don't matter anymore forever. Right? I mean, I do a lot of weddings, guys, a lot of weddings. And when I first did weddings, people always wanted me to do whatever vows I did with my wedding, and they loved those vows. Now nobody wants to do those vows. They all want to write their own vows. And I never hear their vows until they're reading them up there. And I, but the problem is you've got the groom and you've got the bride, and I'm here, so my face is always evident as they are reading. And sometimes it's beautiful, and sometimes it's straight crazy. And they'll just be like, I promise, I will go to Sonic every day for you, no matter what. I'm like, no, you won't. (laughs) I'm not kidding. They'll be like, I don't care if it's midnight. You want me to go to Dallas? I'll go to Dallas for you. No, you won't. No, you won't. First week, you'll go to Dallas. Day eight, you won't go to Hillsboro. <laughs> Day nine, the mall. 
Day 10, maybe a convenience store. Day 11, you're ordering that thing to your house. You're not going anywhere. But they're just in tears, and I'm like, okay, are we done with that? Great, that was sweet. Okay, come here, hold hands. The definition of love is for someone to disadvantage themselves for the sake of another by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you will do that, look into her eyes and say, I will. And it's kind of like the weightiness just kind of lands in the room. They're like, oh, I will? And all the married couples are just sitting there going, yeah, that ain't natural. He's asking you to be a part of something that is supernatural in your life. Because the roses aren't just going to come. And your willpower is going to give out. Whether it's after the first week or the first year, the ninth year. And it's not just going to flow easily. If so, then what we would do is say, if you're addicted today, stop it. And you would. And the person who can't stop vaping would walk out these doors and never do it again. And the person who can't stop getting high, I would say, stop it. And your willpower would be mustered up and you would just stop doing that. They say that the average American spends over 10 hours on their phone a day. So I've been trying to turn my phone off for 60 minutes a day. You would think I'm addicted to every drug in the whole world trying to do that. I walk around filling phantom rings and all. I can't, you know, I'm like trying, where's my phone? Like I can't, 60 minutes a day without my phone. If, if it was not that hard, then someone would just say, Carl, stop it. And I would stop. And we would just never have a, another problem whatsoever. I'm not saying you can't change. What I'm saying is if over the next two weeks, your chief mission is to act more kind and act more gentle, you can You could be thankful, practice gratitude. You could smile more. Um, There's all kinds of things you could do. You go buy a bumper sticker that says, let go and let God. And you might feel more peaceful. You You can act those things. What I'm saying is you can't become those things. These nine things are not actions you do. It's an inner disposition of your inner woman or your inner man that can only be done by the spirit of God as you pay attention to the presence of God. So there is a command in Galatians chapter five. It's just not the fruits of the spirit. The command we see in verse 25, and it's actually a repeat of something he said in verse 16 when he said, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Let's all read that together. Since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Now look at your neighbor, not up here and say that out loud. Ready, go. Since we live by the spirit, Look at your other neighbor. Say that to them. Now, last week we memorized a scripture. Everybody remember what it was? Pray continually. Someone shut it down. Someone put it from three words to two. In the last service, someone went, pray? I was like, it was only three words. You can't shorten it to one. Pray without ceasing was last week. This is the verse you get to memorize today. Because what the Holy Spirit is saying here is, You can't promise roses to flow out of your life and out of your relationships. But if you live by the Spirit, he's saying, keep in step with the Spirit. Your chief aim every day, as Willard said earlier, it's to keep God before your minds, redirect your mind to God, and to just keep in step like a parent who is walking with a two-year-old and is learning, I can run, but I'll rip this kid's arm off. And there's a book I just discovered recently called Three Mile an Hour God. 
written by a Japanese theologian who makes the case that we walk at three miles an hour. And so God does not call this a run with God. He calls it your walk with God and that he is slowing down to walk with you, which means that you're going to have to do the same thing. So this would be my encouragement. If this is resonating, if you're like, yeah, I need that inner disposition shift, then here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to slow down. Now, raise your hand, because there's some people in this room that this is true of, that just kind of moving slow and methodically is normal to you. Like you don't hurry a lot, okay? At the end, can y'all come be our ministry team for the rest of these hurry freaks who have no idea how to do, I mean, this, these are two words no one has ever used to describe Carl Gully. I left my office twice this week while preparing this message. No one is gonna say this and people went, wow, he's in a hurry. Blair, I don't, I'm not on social media a lot, so Blair brought me the clip, my wife, of what they posted from the communications team about my sermon last week. And I thought she was coming to go, look at all these people who are liking and posting and reposting. And she was like, do you hear how fast you talk? <laughs> We're all exhausted at the end of that 35 minutes. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> nothing about me is slow. So even this week, we were on date night. We're going to the Baylor game. And I'm telling her that as a part of my spiritual formation right now, what I'm working on is I'm working on not barking at other cars who are in front of me or next to me or driving me crazy. And it's not that I think that's wrong or bad. It's just I'm feeling lately like it it makes my heart rate fast and it's blocking the flow of the spirit in my car. And so I'm just trying to be more aware of that. While I'm telling Blair that, the guy next to me did one of those slow down when I tried to get over and then speed up when I did that. If you're in this room, I need to talk to you at the end of this service. I, got, I was just like, are you serious right now? And then like, I like haul it up, I'm like going 90 to get around him. I'm like, anyway, I'm just, what I'm working on is this thing. And I'm like talking to her, not even noticing what I'm doing. So this, what I'm, I'm not telling you, go home, be like Carl. Walk slow among the gardens, three miles an hour. I'm saying this is a supernatural. It'd be easier for me to go to Sonic every day for Blair the rest of my life than to just slow down and be aware of what I'm paying attention to. But if I could do this, then maybe this next part, I could arrange my days around the practice of the presence of God in my life. This is becoming the most important thing to me ever. To the point that I'm, 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 I'm training myself to slow down in various ways. To me, what I just said, it's not a couple self-help things. It is a description of what Paul was calling us to in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He said, we all who with unveiled faces, we contemplate the Lord's glory. Contemplate in the Greek was like gaze at. He was like, we're, we're gazing at his glory. And as a result, we're being transformed into the image of Jesus. And and you need to hear this because some of you, especially young people, we have a tendency to overestimate what God will do in a short-term run. And then we go home over the holidays and everything's not better. And we're like, I'm not sure this Christianity thing works. Or we go home, we do something, we fall into sin, we do something and we're like, it just, it didn't work for me. Maybe I just did that because of all those people I was around. But the problem is we underestimate what God will do in the long run. 
We underestimate what can happen to a people who slow down and arrange their days around the practice of God, of practicing his presence, to gaze at him. We will be transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, but it comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So Paul's saying, play the long game with me. And you might be going, great, how do we do that? You know, it's interesting, I, I didn't know about this dynamic till the last couple of weeks that's preparing for this, that a lot of sociologists are saying we no longer live in a day where there's a good economy and a bad economy. You might disagree with that right now. But they said instead that we live in this. That we live in the attention economy and that ad agencies, companies, organizations, stores are saying that the, the, the group that can capture and keep your and mine attention, they are the ones that will succeed in the future. Because we live in an era where there's so much information given to us constantly that everything's white noise. So the people who can figure out how to snake around and get your attention, grab it and keep it, which is why when you open like a post and it's like, they set the world on fire, watch them as they like totally obliterate. They didn't do any of that stuff. They just need you to look. Because if they get you to look, they can get you to stay. They get you to stay. They can get you to buy. And they're spending billions on, this, on us to get us to do just that. So what would it look like for a people to flip that around and recognize, well, that's actually true. How do I do that and walk with God in such a way that it does result in peace with God with me and peace with God and others? There was a man named Frank Laubach who figured this out. He lived in the early 1900s. Uh, he was a missionary to the Philippines. He, they dubbed him the apostle to the illiterates because of his heart to see poverty, injustice, and uh, literacy eradicated. Uh, at great cost to himself and his children, he lost several children to malaria, very painful life. He, he continued to try to help people. He came to America and ended up launching a, a new education model called Each One Teach One. 150,000 people learned to read uh, because of his efforts, amazing effort. But it wasn't his brilliance. Later, his, his son uh, noted in, a, in the book Letters to a Modern Mystic that it was something that his dad did called the game with minutes. The game with minutes. And that game was something that his dad did every day. And what he would do is every 60 seconds, he tried to think of God one time. So every 60 seconds, he would try to think about God, pray to God, sing a song, or just say, God, that's what I'm dealing with. He tried to do that every 60 seconds all throughout his day. And this is what he had to say about the game with men. I just want to read this quote. He said, this game is not a grim duty. Nobody need play it unless he seeks richer life. It's a delightful privilege. Now, if you forget to play it for a minute or hours or days, do not groan or repent just begin anew with a smile. It's a thrilling joy. Don't turn it into sour-faced penance. With God, every minute can be a fresh beginning. Ahead of you lie limitless anticipations. I love that because it redefines kind of when we're like, oh, I didn't pray for two days. People do, like college pastors, I saw this all the time. They didn't pray the first two days of their time with God, of their Christmas. They'd be like, oh, well, blew that one. Because there's some people who do things well in moderation, and then there's the rest of us. And if we were like, we're not going to eat a cookie. We eat one. We eat 25 after that. You know, the, the moderation person's like, well, I didn't eat one. I won't eat one today. We're like, why not? We already blew it. We'll eat 30 tomorrow, right? But he was like, don't do that. 
Like, just start again. Fresh smile. Like, 60 seconds. Think about God. He went on to talk about just how this changed his sleep. This changed his ministry. This changed the joy of his life. That he lived as if he walked on air is what he said. He's actually the only missionary who's ever been put on a postage stamp in the United States of America. And I wonder if it has less to do with just the impact that everybody knew and more to do with what was going on on the inside. Because when he died, his son found his journals. And they said that up in the corner of his journals, there were these numbers. And it would say like 58%, 31%, 71%, 26%, where he had literally cataloged the percentages of his days. He was able to play the game with minutes and be aware of God throughout his day. I think what I'm trying to get at is, what would it look like for us to just play the game with minutes and see if by contemplating it could lead to transformation? I can't make a list for you about what that needs to look like for you because I'm not you. So for my wife and I, we've been talking about, do we need to just go to Walgreens and buy an old-fashioned alarm clock and just put it next to our bed so that the last thing we look at is not our phone before we go to bed and the first thing we look at is not our phone? Because they're saying that the average person touches their phone over 2,600 times a day. 87% of us, it's the last thing we look at and the first thing we look at. One in four are falling asleep with their phone in their hands. So we actually know how to pay attention to something. I'm not sure I want that to be what is chiseling me into its image. And I'm a big phone guy. I love phones. Just got an upgrade. Love them. (laughs) I'm just also painfully aware, Lord, I don't want to come to the end of my life and have been contemplated something and been transformed into its, its image. And so I'm asking God to shift my own attention economy. I don't know what you need to do. Some people will get off social media. Parents, if you want to be a real hero, just tell your kids you're going to, for a couple of days, we're all going to get off social media. They love that. It's so fun. <laughs> And maybe you don't need to start a volcanic war on your Christmas holidays by doing something like that. But maybe there's something we need to go, maybe there's something we could just do to say we want him to get our attention. And I don't know what it looks like for you, but maybe that's what it looked like. But that's what it's going to look like for me. You figure out how do you play the game with minutes? And if statistics are true, you'll forget a lot of what I'm saying by the, end of, by the time like Tuesday or Wednesday gets here. And then you might remember and be like, oh yeah, he, I blew that. And instead of going, uh you maybe just go, start again. Limitless anticipations are starting right now. And then on Thursday, limitless anticipations right now. You know, as we end today, I, wanna, I, wanna, I was thinking about how do I end this, this time? And I was thinking about a time in my life where I was so begging God to change me and to change my family. The year was 1993. It was 30 years ago. My family was still very much in the throes of addiction and brokenness and a lot of pain, but I had moved out of our house to do a discipleship, the Antioch Discipleship School, and I was living with someone. And I was really getting changed, and I was begging God to do something different. So I started fasting and praying once a week. I was really seeking God, made this whole plan, went home for the holidays, and it was an absolute train wreck. I hated the way I responded. I hated the way they responded, and I couldn't get out of my house fast enough by the end of that week. And I was like, what was all that about? Like, why is it the more intentional I get, the worse things get? You ever had that thought? Like, the more I pray, it gets worse. So I'll just stop praying because this is not working. Like, that's what was going on in my mind. So we got into church on Sunday, and I could not wait for the preacher to stop preaching so I could get up to the front and come up for ministry time. 
And he finished and I ran to the front and right in the middle was Daryl and Margie Atwood. Some of you might know them, longtime pillars in our church and Daryl went to be with Jesus. So this is before that, before he had gone to heaven. And I just, they knew me and my family. I poured my heart out and just said, this, I just wanted this. And why could it have happened? And I remember they just, so loving, Margie just kind of put her arms around me. She's like, you are such a sweet boy. And I love your mom and dad. But honey, what you're doing is noble. It just doesn't work. You know, and you know when you're looking at like an elder statesman, you're like, oh really? You know, but you can't say that. You know, that's what I was thinking. And then Daryl's like, remember, his favorite Bible verse. He's like, remember, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I remember just being so confused by that. And they must've been able to see it because Margie looked at me and said some version of, Carl, it's not about reliance on you. It's about dependence on him. This is not reliance on your self-improvement. It's dependence on him. I was like, oh, and they prayed for me. And I went back to my seat and I thought, that is the least helpful advice I have ever heard in church in the history of my church going days. They're sweet people. They mean good. That's just not helpful. Kind of like probably what you feel like. So basically what you're saying, Carl, is I don't want peace with God and others. And if I just play a game, then I'll be different. And I had just done my best to muster willpower for a lot of years, which works. Your willpower really works until it doesn't work anymore. And you realize this stuff comes in limited commodities. I start out with a lot of it in the beginning of the day. By the end of the day, it is gone. So I can be my worst with the people I love. I, I, and I don't want that for my life. And I remember, as I shared last week, a couple of years ago, just hitting that dark place emotionally and just going, I can't seem to kick out of this. My old tricks aren't working. My relational dynamics, I can't shift them with what I used to do. It's not working. And I came across that song we played other, other, earlier. Show me your face, Lord. Show me your face. It was the cry of Moses, except he had to wear a veil over his face because if he saw God, it would just, it would kill him. And then we're reminded that when Jesus died, the temple veil was torn in two, symbolizing that those who were away from God had access to the very inner courts, presence of God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So Paul says, now we all with unveiled face get to contemplate him, gaze at him and be transformed by him. And as I sang that song, it became my prayer. And it was like everything Margie said 30 years ago, I was like, oh, sorry, Margie. It just took three decades, but it was like it clicked. And the burden fell off my shoulders. Like I can't produce these roses. I can only put myself in a position for the roses to grow. But God, if you're gonna see this fruit, it's on you. I'm not free of all responsibility. I'm not lackadaisical in my response. I'm just asking Spirit of God as I gaze at you, as my focus becomes attention, would you now, Lord, shift my inward being to point north towards you? So today as we end, I'd like everybody to stand to your feet and we're gonna pray this prayer. It's the prayer of Moses. It's just coming in the form of this song that our team is gonna sing. And our ministry team is gonna come. So team, you can come to the front because maybe you might be having a Carl Margie moment. You're like, is he done yet? Because I've got some stuff going on in my life and I just need to get to the front and I need them to pray for what I'm going through. And if so, our team is here for you. 
And others may be saying, man, I've never had a relationship with God because the veils kept me from him. And today I need to accept Jesus as the, not just the savior of my life, the Lord of my life, that I might be able to access that uninterrupted glory with God. But it also might be for the rest of us, we just need to make this our prayer today to be a jump start into our week where we play this game with minutes and we say, God, show us your face. Show us your face. And we make this our prayer. And maybe just start for seven days. Don't think seven years. Don't promise you'll go to Dallas and back for God for the rest of your life. Just next seven days, show me your face and just grab a hold of my attention. Lord, we, we just confess our weakness today and we're just so grateful that intimacy with you is possible. Mustering our willpower to see transformation is impossible. But with you, all things are possible. So today, vines and branches being connected and reconnected and reconnected as we all pray together, show us your face. Let's sing this as our prayer. If you need ministry, you can come to the front as we end our time.